So we've been doing a series called Living in Full Expression, and uh, that's L-I-F-E, and that's, uh, this is really true life here. And, um, you know, as we, as we talk about life groups, uh, living in full expression, these five things that we're talking about, and this is uh, fellowship, this is discipleship, serving and ministry, uh, evangelism, and then the fifth one here is worship. And so we had the part one of worship last week, and we get to hear from uh, uh, Pastor Aaron this morning, our worship pastor. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and he's going to bring it this morning. Um, but before he brings it, uh, and he's aware of this now because we just did this at the nine o'clock service, but I was going to bring it with a, a uh, video that we have some, with some original footage from Pastor Aaron when he was 17 years old. And so you're going to love this. And, and the thing that's great is, um, is that he has made some tremendous strides since the age of 17. <laughs> and so he's become much more mature. His ability to sing is, has, thank God, has just grown. And so, so we get to see some footage here of of Pastor Aaron back when it was probably not good that he was our, our worship pastor. So here we go. Roll it. All right, so Pastor Aaron, everybody. I don't know what he's talking about. I was like, the black Justin Bieber. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> what a way to open up, huh? Um, that was me, 17 years old. I was in a band called Saving Daylight. We were not good. Um, not good at all, but my wife still fell in love with me at that time, so I guess I still win. I still win. <laughs> but uh, me and a group of guys from this church, you, you see them on stage off and on. We, we believe that the truths of God and the atmosphere of worship can be brought in a dingy bar where people are getting drunk, amen? They need, they need the light of Jesus as well, so we're still doing that to this day. Um, proud to be here. Um, First, I'd like to start off by thanking Pastor, Pastor JR and Pastor Mike for letting me share my heart with you guys. We have the best pastors. We have the most caring and wonderful pastors. How many of you, uh, how many of you receive a, a call from JR every year on your birthday? I have, I have never seen, I've never seen a pastor do that ever of churches uh, much, much smaller than this um, take such care and concern of the people that they're, that they're called to lead. Amen. Um, so I've been your worship pastor since, uh, since January. I took over in January. And, and to be honest, it was, uh, I never wanted to be a worship pastor. It was, not, it was not my goal or ambition to be a worship pastor. Um, and my mom would always speak that into my life from a very young age that, um, you're going to be a worship pastor? I'd be like, no. God, no. God, please, no. God, please, I hate this. And so the, the first thing I thought when I sat down in, in, in JR's office and Mike and JR looked at me and they're like, you're the guy. And I was just like, ah, my mom is right. 
That's my mom. She's wonderful. This, is, this might not be theologically correct, but I believe that mothers have the ability to just speak things into existence, even if you don't want them. It just happens. Just because a mom said it, God's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so I never wanted to be a worship pastor, but, but since then, the, the worship team and I have been on this incredible journey of, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm a 24-year-old kid that knows how to play guitar and can kind of hold a tune some days, and... We, we've just been on this journey of seeking the Lord and being dependent on the Lord. And, and the vision that we talk about every time that we get together is our job is to create an atmosphere where we can counter and engage the presence of God. Every time that we, any of us get up on the stage, our, our goal and our, our prayer is that you would be in an atmosphere where not only you encounter, because it's possible that God can be in the room and you don't engage with him. It's possible for God to be doing something in the room and, and it's possible to not even reap the benefits of that because you're preoccupied with something else. So our vision and our goal is that you would encounter and engage with the presence of God, that you would find out what is on the Lord's heart for today, for now. And the Bible is full of stories of people encountering and engaging with the presence of God and, and the Lord is able to reveal destiny and purpose and, and vision into their lives and identity in which they've never known. But it all starts from a place of worship, amen? And so the Lord is calling us as a church. Have you, have you guys felt a shift here in the last few months? It just feels very different. And that's not, that's not, that's not due to me. That's not just due to a band. It's due to just the heart of, of the staff here and the way that we, we've been pressing in like none other to make sure that you guys are, are growing in the Lord and experiencing the Lord and what the Lord has for you. It's our, it's our desire and our delight to just, to just see you grow in the Lord. So I want to talk about worship. I want to talk about some of the pitfalls that we can experience. And uh, I'm a church kid. I, I, I feel like I just, the first day alive was just, right, let's go to church. This is what we do. Anyone, anyone there? And I grew up and, and most of my time was spent in the church walls. I was there multiple times a week. My dad was a worship pastor. He was playing bass this morning. Uh, my mom... Uh, back there. She, she's just a prayer warrior. She's always been praying and has a huge value for that. And so I wasn't a pastor's kid, but pretty much, uh, very much a glass house situation of, of, you know, you put the smiles on, you go to church and we were in a good mood. We're in a good mood today. You will smile. I remember my mom, she's going to kill me. I only, I only, <laughs> I only have bad stories about her, but she's one of my best friends. I love her very much, but we were not allowed to sit down during worship. We had to stand up and shake eggs. Like we had these little shaker eggs that we had to do during worship and be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Um, but I'm sure that's the foundations of which I am worship leader today. What? Look at me now. It's all your fault. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. This was written by a man named David. David is, is what they consider a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. And so I wanna, I wanna know what it is about David that moved the Lord's heart so much to consider him a man after his own heart. We want to be people, we want to be worshipers that understand what moves the heart of the Lord. 
And there's something interesting. About 10, 15 years ago, there's this huge movement in the church. If you've been around the church for a while, um, that, that we, we did the whole, like, it's not religion, it's relationship thing. Anybody remember that whole, like, it, it, and yes, that's true. But it's like, it just kind of became our mantra. Like, it's not religion, it's relationship, and it's not law, it's grace. But I want to point out something very interesting to you. That David in Psalm 1, this is, this is tons of time before Jesus was ever on the scene. David, David writes this idea of his heart delighting in the law of the Lord way before Jesus because he was able to see the character of Jesus in the law. I don't think we like rules very much. I don't like rules very much. And so when we talk about the law, it stirs up something in us of like, well, I don't, I don't follow the law's grace. not religion, it's relationship. But David was able to spend so much time with Jesus before Jesus was ever on the scene that he was able to see the character of Jesus in the law. He was able to see the goodness of God in the law because he was willing to spend time with the Lord. And so what I want to do today is I just want to go through and I want to talk about some ideas of, of how we can be in the atmosphere of God and maybe miss out because we're not looking hard enough. Or maybe we're looking for what we want to look for. And maybe you've been like me and and you've been raised in a, a conservative home and you've, by the grace of God, stuck with Jesus all this time and now like you're, you're just loving Jesus, you're going for it, but there's a bit of judgment in your heart towards people that are legalistic, like, oh, why are they so legalistic? But that's where they're at in their journey. Or maybe you're really legalistic and you find someone that just has experienced a new level of freedom and you're like, well, why are they having so much fun? Church isn't fun. Jesus isn't fun. He's rules. So I just want to talk about a few of those ideas. Cool? And I want, to, I want us to be people that understand the character of God. Knowing the character of God is what will enhance our worship. The way that you view God is one of the biggest questions and most important questions that you can ever ask. In order to worship in spirit and in truth. My dad and I, we, uh, I've known him for a long time. But we went out for, for dinner a month ago, right? This is going to be a very conversational sermon. We went, we, now, we went out for dinner about a month ago, and I've known my dad my whole life, but I learned things about his character that will change the way that him and I talk forever. Because I sat down with him and just decided to start asking him questions. I can go through life in the proximity of my father I can go through life in the proximity, in the same house, in the same area as my father and never understand his character. I can never understand the way that he functions unless I'm willing to get with him and say, what are you about, man? And there's things that I learned about my dad in that scenario that will change the way that him and I forever communicate. And there's things that the Lord wants to do here and now that will forever change the way that you communicate with him. If you believe that God is a God of, of judgment and, and that he's angry with you, that's going to affect the way that you worship because now you're worshiping out of a me focus, not a him focus. 
And there's a story in the Bible of a woman that was at a well and Jesus approaches her and they, they talk and they, they're having this dialogue and she, she wants to talk about her preference. She wants to talk about, well, this is how me and my people worship and, and this is the, the right way. This is, this is how we prefer it. This is, this is the way that we want to do it. And Jesus comes back with this idea of, whoa, you've got it all backwards. It's not about where, it's about who. It's not about where and it's not about how, it's about who. And a lot of times when we come into this place, we want to make it a, a where or a how argument. Well, I don't like that song. I don't like the lights. I don't like... <laughs> but it's about who we worship that makes all the difference. Amen? He knows. Thank you for the hand raise. So that, that's kind of the premise, is losing God. Honey, I lost Jesus is the title of my sermon if you're writing notes. When I was nine years old, I loved going to church. That was just kind of my, my area of fellowship. My best friends were there. I just loved hanging out at church. I don't really know if I loved Jesus at the time. I just loved being at church because that's what you do. And so I would wake up and, and get myself ready and, and take a shower. And I was always excited to go to church and I wake up one day and my, my room was in the basement and, and I'm getting ready and I'm showering and I go upstairs and I'm all ready to go to church. Like church is going to be starting soon. We should be leaving about now. I, I don't know where my family's been, but I'm ready for church. And I go upstairs and I just am like, they're gone. And my family had left me at home <laughs> and gone to church without me. I get hysterical I like just start, but I'm nine. I should have been a little tougher. I, I call my mom and she's in the middle of service. So she doesn't answer her phone. And I'm like, how dare you? How dare you leave me? I'm your son. But it only took once. She never left me at home again. She never left me at home again, but I was so irritated. And so I want to read a passage of scripture to you in which uh, Jesus was left for nine days by himself, unaccompanied. I still make my parents feel guilty 15 years ago for leaving me at home, and they lost the savior of the world for nine days. Parent of the Year Award. So if you want to flip uh, to Luke 2 with me, if you have your Bibles, we believe in the Bible here. Amen. Man, you guys are in a good mood today. Luke 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up as they always did for the feast. When it was over, they left for home. And the child, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents didn't know it. Thinking he was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day and then began looking for him among relatives and neighbors. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. The next day, they found him in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents were not impressed. They were upset and hurt. His mother said, young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. He said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? But they had no idea what he was talking about. 
In the beginning of that passage, it says that they went to the Feast of Passover as they always did. This is a, a common Jewish festival. They're, they're, they're celebrating, sacrificing, and, and covering the forgiveness of sins. That was what the Lord had commanded them to do at the time. Jesus, um, the lamb that was slain for all the world, at 12 years old, understands that he is the savior of the world, and he eventually is going to be the final Passover at 12 years old. And so he goes to the temple, and he's praying, and he's finding out what's, what's up there, and Joseph and Mary are aware as well that he is Jesus and they've had visitations from angels and, and know the calling that's on his life. But they're so consumed by what they usually do that they t entirely miss the point. And they lost Jesus in the middle of ritual and religion. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? They completely lost sight of, of this is the savior of the world. And um, Jesus was 12 at the time, so this would have been the first time that he had attended a Passover with him. And he has this understanding of, of, of who he is. And so he's just like, this is pretty wild, man. I should probably spend time with my father. And it's possible for us to come into this place. It's possible for us to be doing church and to, just like Joseph and Mary, we're, we're there, we're in the right space, but we've entirely missed Jesus in all of the space. And Jesus says something really profound. He says, of course, I'd be dealing with the things of my father. Where else would you find me? My friend JD always says this, this really profound thing. He says, Familiarity breeds dishonor. Familiarity breeds dishonor. If you have a teenage child, you know what that means. You can't talk to them about anything, right? You have to have someone else tell them something that you already know to be true because they're so familiar with you that they can't receive your wisdom, right? familiarity with the presence of God. I think the biggest weapon that the enemy can have against us is for us to get familiar with this space. And worship can get really slick. It's really good. We, we work really hard on, on good tone, good timing, our singing, all that stuff. And we can get really good. And, and music alone elicits some sort of emotional response, does it not? And we can feel emotional, entirely miss out on what the Lord is doing in the room and the, the words that he's trying to communicate in the room because this is just what we do. You guys alive? Wake? So some of the things that we can lose Jesus in, I have a few points for you if you're taking notes. One, we can lose Jesus in our timeline. We can lose Jesus in our timeline. There's a man named Zachariah and his wife, Elizabeth. They were the parents of John the Baptist, who Jesus said is the greatest man on earth. And at that time, as a woman, your, your worth is measured by the amount of children you can have, sons specifically. But your worth is measured by the amount of children you can have. And Zachariah and Elizabeth are in their 80s and still don't have a kid. And so an angel visits Zachariah and says, hey, it's your time to have a kid now. 
And Zacharias says this, he says, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. Do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. Do you know it's not, it's not, that, uh, it's not that impressive when a 30-year-old has a kid. But what made Zachariah and Elizabeth having a child that ended up preparing the way for Jesus is it was done in God's timing. Because it undeniably at that point has to be God that gets the credit, not you. And a lot of times in our life, we're not where we want to be. There's, there's unrealized dreams. There's unrealized just things in your heart that you, you've been promised that would come to pass. And we lose faith in what Jesus is doing because it didn't happen on our timeline without understanding that when it happens on his timeline, it's blessed. And maybe you're like me and you've taken things into your own hands in some situations and it, you blow it up and it becomes a mess. And you either, what, what happens is if it, if it becomes a mess, then it, it's God's fault. If it becomes good, it's our fault, right? And so we lose what, what God is doing in our timeline because maybe you're in a wilderness season and you don't know exactly what's going on and, and you feel like things aren't happening, but we rob ourselves of hearing the voice of God when we decide to take things into our own hands. I believe that God is a good father and that he's always speaking. Always. Even in the wilderness when you don't feel like it. But the temptation is to make God sound a lot like us, strangely, when we're in our wilderness season. It's funny to me how, how we're always called to the jobs that make us a lot of money or the, the person that looks really good. That, that's who we're going to marry. God sounds an awful lot like us. When it lines up with our ambitions and our plans. You guys alive? You awake? All right. As soon as Zachariah said that idea of like, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man. My wife is an old woman. He was silenced. He couldn't talk. Couldn't talk for that whole period until after John was born. Because when Zechariah was able to partner with the truth of God in his timeline, he was able to find freedom. When we are able to partner with God, regardless of our timeline and dependent on his, we are able to find freedom. Number two, we can lose God in our circumstance. Matthew 5, all the way through uh, chapter 7, Jesus preaches his first sermon, and it's one of the most famous sermons ever recorded. It's called the Beatitudes, and if you look that word up, it means supreme blessedness. But it makes it even more powerful when you understand the context of which Jesus is speaking and who he's speaking to. Jesus is a Jewish man in exile, speaking to Jewish people in exile. 
an entire country that's overthrown by a government that doesn't care about them, a government that's um, raping and pillaging their women, a government that's overly taxing them. And what Jesus does to these exiles as an exile himself, what he says is, you are supremely blessed. You are supremely blessed. Even in this season right now when you don't see it, you are supremely blessed. As Christians, we need to fortify ourselves and teach ourselves to see heaven's truth over our circumstance. And understand that we don't have to partner with, with the circumstance to, to speak our identity over us. We have to stay rooted in the truth of who God is and let that decide our identity. Because when you understand your identity as a son or daughter, that also affects how you worship. And so when we come into this place and, and maybe you don't feel it and you're singing these great songs with Derek, doesn't Derek have an amazing voice? And he sings that song, he sings, no longer slaves, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. Or even today when he says, you delight in showing mercy, those are hard songs to sing, aren't they? But the power of worship is that it silences the voice of the liar and you're proclaiming the truth of God over your circumstance regardless of if you see it. And if you can fortify your heart to stand in the truth of God, then you'll see it on the other side. I think it was G.K. Chesterton, he talks about this idea of the Christian life isn't, hasn't been tried and found wanted. It's been found difficult and untried. And we have too many Christians that are taught to root their belief in, in God on the circumstances that are happening in their life. And they walk away from church. That's why people don't come to church. is because we're not teaching them to declare the promises of God over the situation. We're teaching them to have good morals, but not to partner with truth. And I don't know if you've been like me, there's just a period of my life where I, was, I, I, I wanted to be invested into the things of God and to learn. And so I, I read every book I could. I listened to every podcast possible. I, I attended way too many church services, all, all in pursuit of God. And so I got to this place in my life where I, I figured that I was going to argue people into the kingdom. Right? Has anybody been there before? Just me? Cool. And him. We'll talk later. I'm going to argue people into the kingdom because I, I've, I've downloaded all this revelation and this knowledge, and that's good. We need people that are going out into the world that are filled with the knowledge of God. But the Lord never asked us to operate in knowledge. He asked us to demonstrate his love and his power. And we can lose Jesus in our circumstances and the people around us can lose Jesus in their circumstances because we're trying to argue with them logic instead of giving them clothes to be warm and food in their belly and then healing them and sending them out. We would rather just give them our logic because that's a lot easier, don't you think? It costs you nothing to give away your logic. But guess what costs you something? Buying them a meal. Right? 
or spending 20 minutes to pray for their healing and deliver them from, from maybe there's some oppression that they're going through. That costs you something. But all of a sudden, if, if churches were able to understand this idea and partner with the fact that we're, we are here on this earth to demonstrate the love and the power of Jesus, all of a sudden their circumstance doesn't, doesn't matter a whole lot when, you know, a blind man gets healed. He's going to come to church next week. My friend John talks about this idea of how we're called to be a city on the hill. What's interesting about a city on a hill in a dark place, if, it's, if, if the city on the hill is light, people are drawn to it. The city on the hill isn't having to promote itself to get people there. People just go. And too often we're, we're, we're burning ourselves out trying to invite our neighbor to church. Well, maybe your neighbor needs a healing. Bless you. And this is some pretty extreme revelation that I'm about to drop. Jesus was not a Democrat or a Republican. Yeah. Jesus was not a Democrat or a Republican. And so what he could have done is that first sermon, the Beatitudes, calling these people supremely blessed. This is when he realizes that his ministry is catching heat. People are following him. This is going to be a good thing. He could have got up and, and spelled out his plans of how we're going to grow the, the Jewish empire how we're going to take it back from the Romans and we're going to do great things. And, and that's what they want. That's what they're expecting is this guy to deliver them from the Romans. And what he gets up and does is he says, you're good, you're blessed. Isn't it wonderful that your identity isn't based on your circumstance? Because Jesus wasn't a Democrat or Republican, he was kingdom. And your ability to see what the kingdom is doing around you is going to make your circumstances a whole lot better. It's a beautiful song that says, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. So that means that we need more of Jesus' glory and grace. Amen? Not more laws. I read this quote, it said, your most profound and intimate experiences of worship will likely be in your darkest days when your heart is broken, when you feel abandoned, and when you're out of options, when the pain is great and you turn to God alone. Yeah, that's, that's good for clapping. Here on this earth, we only have one life. When we get to heaven and we behold the glory of God and we're standing in the presence of Almighty God, there's going to be no more questions. All the questions that you have all of a sudden don't seem that important, do they? 
There's going to be no more need for healing. There's going to be no doubts. And we get to stand in the presence of Almighty God, completely changed just by being in his presence. But in this life, you only have one opportunity where worship actually costs you something, where you get to, where you get to worship through the pain, worship through the doubt, because it's in those circumstances where you allow your faith to grow. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim if you allow yourself to worship when your circumstances don't tell you that you should. If God is good and he tells us to worship him, then the best thing that we can do is worship him, especially when it doesn't feel like we should. Especially when it doesn't feel like we should because you only have one life where worship actually costs you something. Number three, we can lose God in our dignity. As you can tell from that spectacular video that we watched, I love being so cool. I love looking so cool. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Calm down. <laughs> we can lose God in our dignity. There's a story of a man. His name's David. Again, David reads the laws of Jesus and finds the character of Jesus in the law. He spent time on the hillside worshiping all his life. He has this relationship with God. God says, you are a man after my own heart. And so what happens is they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant through the streets. And that's, that, that was what they uh, carried the presence of God in. It was what resembled the presence of God at the time. And, and David sees them carrying it through the streets and he just loses it. He loves the Lord so much that he just starts dancing. The Bible says that he started taking off his clothes. He was so passionate about dancing for the Lord. Please keep your clothes on. But David's so passionate, starts ripping off his clothes and dancing before the Lord. And he gets home and his wife, Michael, says, how foolish of you. How foolish of you, the king, to dance like you did. How foolish of you to dance before the people that you're the king over. And David says, I will be even more undignified than this. And it says that Michael was barren from then on. She couldn't have kids. And like I said before, your, your worth as a woman at the time was in how many children you could have. And Michael was barren at the time. And I'm going to say something, and I don't want it to be offensive to you. But it's a little offensive. The American church especially has adopted a spirit of Michael. where we spend our time criticizing someone else's expression of worship because it doesn't fit our own. Or it doesn't look as cool as our expression of worship does. Or maybe it's too wild, maybe it's too crazy. I grew up in a flag-raving church. I hate flags. People get hit in the head with flags. When you just, when you just free for all it and everyone's able to grab a flag, someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to the hospital today. Anybody grow up in one of those churches? If you didn't, awesome. We went to this conference as pastors and, and we, we go and the first thing I see is there was a, they had a flag waver on stage, a dancer on stage with a flag. And I was just like, this is garbage. Oh my gosh. 
And I start judging this lady's expression of worship and like, I just feel like my heart getting encrusted with my anger because I hate flags. The worship set starts and she just begins to dance and move the flag around and, and do all these things with it. And I just start weeping. I just start crying. And the Lord told me something that changed my life forever. He said, her expression of worship isn't pleasing to you, but it's pleasing to me. And in that moment, I can't just stand back and be like, oh, well, how, how dare she displease me, God? The things of this earth grow strangely dim. There's a woman, a prostitute, that approaches Jesus and, yes, her, her occupation is being a prostitute, and so she... She bought this expensive perfume, I'm sure, as a, as a means of attracting more customers for her profession. Really expensive, really good stuff. What she does is she takes this expensive perfume, she dumps it on Jesus. What they say is that the perfume that she dumped on Jesus, it, it, was, it costs about a year's wages. She dumps it on Jesus. We could have given that money to the poor. I don't like how it smells. Why did she do that now? They got perfume on me. Yeah, 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 yeah. What Jesus does is he says, this woman has done a beautiful thing to me. Can you imagine how risky that is? This prostitute. We don't have a lot of prostitutes coming to church. We should, amen? But this prostitute walks into the presence of Jesus and just dumps this expensive perfume all over his head. If someone dumped perfume on my head, I would be livid. This is an expression of worship that Jesus hasn't said, oh, just dumb perfume on me. I love this. In the nine o'clock service, I just equated it to someone just like spraying a can of Axe all over you. Disgusting. I would be livid. I would be punching people and just shouting profanities. That's disgusting. Or you notice David, he dances before the Lord. He writes the Psalms. He sings to the Lord. Both of those people are expressing acts of worship that the Lord hasn't even communicated that he has a value for yet. We sing songs today because of David being able to, to get into the presence of the Lord and find out that it actually moves the Lord's heart. We're benefiting on someone else's sacrifice. Not to say that it's wrong, but this prostitute, this king, had the audacity to spend enough time with the Lord to find out what was on his heart. And expressed themselves in a way that had never been done before and moved the Lord's heart so greatly that what Jesus said to the prostitute, it said, whenever the gospel is preached, we have to talk about you. 
Wherever the gospel is preached, we're talking about you. He could have chosen anyone, but he says you, the prostitute. We will talk about you and your act of worship to me because this is what I want. If the band could come up, if you guys are back there, come and play some spiritual sounding music. What stirs and moves my heart is this idea that a lot of times we settle for someone else's sacrifice and call it our own. There's churches all across the world that are stealing someone else's expression and, and, and dumping someone else's perfume and calling it their own. We can come to this place and we can, we can, let, we can let the band, we can let Luna, we can let Derek... open up and pour their perfume on the Lord and, and just enjoy the flavor. Because what the Bible says is, is when she did that to Jesus, it filled the room. The aroma filled the room. And so we let the aroma of these, these worship leaders and these bands or these pastors or these speakers fill the room and we leave the place and we, we say, how, how great was that, right? Or how great was that not? And we, we, we can have our own preference and our own ideas of what happened. But all the while, God is saying, you never opened up your own jar and dumped it on me yourself. You guys tracking with me? Does this make sense? There's something in your heart, in your life, if you can hear my voice, yes, I'm talking to you. That the Lord wants you to find in the secret place when you go to him and you say, what would move your heart today? And it, it might not always look good. It might not always look clean. Some of the best songs that I have ever written, you will never hear. And it sometimes angers me because I write it and I, I work on this craft and I've written this beautiful song and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make so much money. And the Lord's like, no, that was for me, man. Because that costs you something. Some of my best songs you will never hear. So what is it now that costs you something? How you lost Jesus maybe in your circumstances and in, in maybe your timeline and your, your preference of the way things go. How have you let the presence of God slip by and not been able to dump out your expression of worship on the Lord? And I'm not talking about the times that we just get here on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about in your Monday to Saturday, day-to-day -day life. When life doesn't feel so good, there's nothing overly spiritual happening and it seems really mundane. Maybe your expression to the Lord is just taking out the trash when your wife asks you to take out the trash. And your ability to say, God, this is my offering to you. This is what I have to give you right here and now. Maybe your offering to the Lord is just being an encouragement to your kids saying right now you're a pain in the butt but I see a man of God in you 
that is an act of worship. And my heart breaks because there's churches filled right now with people that don't understand that this, this is for them. Jesus came to this earth because he is about what is happening here and now, not what happens after we die. There's something here and now that he wants to reveal to you. There's something now that he wants to show you. That right now it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your time. It may cost someone telling you that you look like a fool. But the world outside of this building needs demonstration of the love and the power of God, which we can't find anywhere else except spending time with God and figuring out how we pour out our sacrifice. When, when that woman poured out her sacrifice on Jesus, Jesus said, this has to be talked about all the time. So if we as a church body individually figured out the way that we pour our perfume over Jesus, what our expression is, guess what? People are going to have to talk about it. The world can't ignore a group of people that are so passionately in love that they're willing to look like idiots. Because it's the presence of God and the presence of God alone that will change the world. The purpose and the mission and the mandate of the church is alive and well. But it cannot continue to be about a performance that a band puts on. It cannot continue to be about a sermon that, that a preacher speaks. At some point, you, it has to internalize and you have to say, I have to get out my own expression. This God, this good news that I've been hearing about, just it, it moves me. It moves me in such a way that I have to dump out everything for this God. It can't continue to be Derek's faith. It can't continue to be Luna's faith. It can't continue to be Mike's faith. It can't continue to be JR's faith that gets you through to next Sunday. It has to be you that says, God, here and now, I need you to move in my life. Here and now, I need your presence so strong in my bedroom. I don't have a band. I don't have a speaker. I just, I just have myself. But I'm willing. I'm willing to say yes right now. Whatever that looks like. And stand together. I was going to have you guys do a song, but we're going late. So just stay there. Continue to be spiritual. Let's lift our hands together. And why I ask you guys to do this a lot, some of you probably get so mad at me when I do this. They're like, this makes me uncomfortable, Aaron. I don't like this. This is not how I express. But this is what free people do. And love looks like something. You can't tell somebody that you love them and not show it in some sort of way. And this is what free people do when, they, when chains are loosed off of them. And it looks stupid, it looks foolish. But when the world sees more people doing this and, and stops trying to argue people into the kingdom or condemn that single mother for the abortion or, or do any of those things, that's when we see the power of God manifested. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim 
when we embrace that the glory is all in him and not in us, not in our logic, not in our answers, not in our programs, not in our services, but in people that embrace the power of God and say, I want to live in this in my, in my nine to five work week. I need God to move in my cubicle. I need God to move in the person uh, next to me in their cubicle. I need God to move in my kids. I need God to move in my husband or my wife. And for now, God, it's just going to be me and you. You tell me what you need. You tell me how to pour out my offering. But this is what I have. I have my ability to raise my hands. And God, we don't want to lose you. In religious ritual, we don't want to lose you. In our nine to five work week, we don't want to lose you in our frustrations. We don't want to lose you in our depression. We don't want to lose you in all those things. We want to declare your goodness in the midst of those things. We want to declare your love in the midst of those things that the world may see that you are a good God. You are a good father that gives good gifts to his kids. And God, we repent for just believing that handing someone a flyer or a mailer is what's going to save them. It's a demonstration of your love and your power and their lives that will bring them to you, that will bring them closer to you, that will bring us closer to you. But God, more than wanting your hand, we want to understand your heart. We want to understand what moves your heart, whether that's singing a song, whether that's dancing alone in our room, whether that's making our kids a meal at night, whether that's just going to work faithfully and supporting the boss that no one likes and speaking truth into his life, even though he's struggling. That's what will change the world. And we want to partner with that truth here and now, Jesus. We love you and we bless you. If the ministry teams could come up, Quick, 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 quick. If you need prayer for anything, if you just need to experience new levels of freedom, if you just need to, to kick this habit, if you just need to know what's on the Lord's heart for you, they can, they can give you a good kickstart. Maybe you have some questions and my sermon didn't provide a whole lot of answers for you. I'm sure they'd be able to talk you through some ideas and get a conversation started with you. But the band's gonna keep playing and we're gonna worship. You're welcome to go pick up your kids. You're welcome to leave. But just go knowing that you have your own perfume jar to break over Jesus, amen? All right, so if you need prayer, come forward. We're just gonna continue worshiping.